Welcome to the Grace Avenue Church Podcast, where we believe that the grace of God is yours to live. It is our prayer that this message will help you experience God's freedom, live your potential, and make the impact you were created for. Now here's the message. Well, we've been in a series called Unstuck. We started this last week, and uh, before I get into that, I want to talk about what we're heading towards the next in the next two weeks. On the 28th of this month, Vision Sunday is on our plate. So Vision Sunday, if you're not familiar what Vision Sunday is, Vision Sunday is really where we as a church come together and we cast vision for the year. Where are we headed as a church? It's important that you don't just attend church, but you actually know where you're planted, what we're investing in, where your tithe goes to, what we're moving forward in the ministries that are being birthed and and moved around and the events and the things we're putting our hands to. Vision Sunday is where a lot of those new initiatives are announced. And at the same time, it's really where we just kind of come together as a family and say, hey, this is the direction we're unifying around and we're pointing this direction and believing God together for for 2018. And so don't miss Vision Sunday. If there was a Sunday to miss, it's not Vision Sunday. Amen. All right. We've been talking about what it means to be unstuck. And today I'm going to talk about beginnings and endings. Beginnings and endings. So all of us have beginnings, and at some point, there are endings to different seasons in our life. There are also endings to, obviously, uh, the different choices that we make. If you think about it, there's an expiration date on the beginning that you started every time you stepped into something new in life. When you stepped into kindergarten, there was the beginning, but there was an expiration date on that whole elementary season. And then you stepped into middle school. And in middle school, there was a beginning, and then eventually, after a few years, uh, or maybe for Travis, it took him about seven years, but then he got to an ending, and things change for him. And then the same thing with high school, and then college. And then you start in the beginning of your marriage, and, and, and marriage has a beginning. And then hopefully there's not an ending anytime soon for anyone here, but there's, but there is at some point a time when we are no longer together and we are with the Lord, there's an ending to life, right? So, so we kind of understand what I think part of the problem is when it comes to beginnings and endings is right in between. The tra- I like to call them the hallways. They are the transi- transitions. They are, they are the places where between the last open door and the next open door, we have the ability, if we're not careful, the ability to get stuck. And I'm going to talk a little bit about this today because I want us to understand that it's, it's pretty normal to pray for open doors and be excited about the open doors that God brings into our life. But it's also difficult when, when a door closes between now and the next open door to get stuck in the hallways. Hallways are always difficult when they're crowded. You ever notice that? You try and walk through a hallway and people are congregating where they should be moving. Right? And you're trying, how many of you are the impatient people that say the nice excuse me, but you actually want to say it in a rage, kind of like, excuse me, please, would you please move? Because you understand this is not a place people are supposed to be congregating. They're supposed to be moving forward, Right? And here's what happens. In life, when there's beginnings and endings, in the hallways and the transitions of life, it's very easy, if we're not careful, to get stuck in places that we were supposed to be moving through. And I want to talk to us about that this morning because God's command to all of us, his voice to all of us, is that we would grow. It's, uh, Peter kind of said it like this in 2 Peter. He said, grow in the grace and the knowledge of Jesus Christ. In other words, if we're serious about being disciples of Jesus, if we're really serious about following Jesus, there has to be this growth dimension in our life 
that we are intentional about. Where when we find ourselves stuck, we know we cannot stay here. When we go to connect group and we talk to somebody about what's going on in our life and we pray with somebody, we know at the end of the day that prayer was not just so we could just voice what we feel, but more so so we could voice what we feel, let it be heard among other people, and move forward because we can't just stay where we are. Amen? It's easy to get stuck in a season. It's easy to get stuck in places, but especially in transitions. And what we see in the, in the word is when God is making major shifts in people's lives, all these major leaders that we, we read about, they're experiencing the same things that we go through. It, it's interesting because you see to Joshua, he's in the hallway of between the last closed door of, of, of Moses passing on and in the open door of him stepping into his leadership. And what does God tell him? He tells him, you can't stay here. You have to cross over. And then he tells him, here's what he speaks to his spirit. Be strong and courageous. So in the transition, this is what God was speaking to Joshua, right? To Jeremiah, he says, for I know the plans that I have for you. See, we don't always know the plans that we have for us, especially in the hallways, right? There's a saying that goes, uh, open doors feel like heaven, but hallways can feel like hell. Can I get an amen for that, right? <laughs> like there are times where, where you're in the hallway, the transition of, of where you are and where you're going, that you can, it can almost feel like no man's land, like a, like a place between uh, frustration and arrival. How do I get beyond this place, this thing in my life, this stuff that's going on, this, this habit I keep forming? And, and in all these transitions, God speaks the same spirit of courageousness and faith to the people that he's challenging to move forward. Like I said, he says that to Joshua, he says that to Jeremiah, to Paul. He says, don't be anxious about anything, but in everything with thanksgiving and by prayer and, and committing these things to God, make your requests known to God. In other words, keep praying, keep moving through this thing. Don't stay stuck, right? Deuteronomy tells us the Lord, the Lord goes before you. Proverbs tells us trust in the Lord with all of your heart and don't lean on your own understanding. So God is always speaking to the hallways of our life. He's always speaking to the transitions. And I believe that so much of life is learning how to navigate the transitions between the beginnings and the endings on our journey. Is this making sense this morning? So decisions and voices are what I talked about last week. I talked about how important it is that when we're stuck, we need to take stock really of the decisions we need to make and the voices that are speaking into those decisions, right? I said that with decisions, at the end of the day, you can pray about something. You can read the word about something. You can read 10 books on something. You can get some counsel on something. You can fast and pray for something. But at the end of the day, our life move, moves forward when we make a decision. And then I said, what gets in the way of a lot of the good decisions that we want to make or the decisions that we need to make are the voices that speak in our lives that aren't the right voices, the wrong voices, the voices that operate really as opinions rather than truth and direction. Am I going too fast this morning? Okay, you tracking with me? So here's where I'm going to pick up from last week. Decisions and voices lead to what? transitions, life transitions. I want you to see what, I'm, what I've got here today to kind of point you to, uh, to what this chart looks like, because this is kind of how I view 
um, what decisions and voices do. Decisions and voices lead us to life transitions, right? You decided to get married, that left, led to a life transition. You decided to go to school, that led to a life transition. You decided not to go to school, that, dis- that led to a life transition, right? All of our decisions kind of lead to these, these movements in our lives, this momentum in our life that begins to move forward and begins to flow. And, and here's what life transitions do. And I want to explain this today because I think for many of us, we ask questions to God and to each other really a lot of times based on just one level of thinking of how it's affecting us. Like when we need a new job, someone says, well, why do you, why do you want to go, to go to this new job? Well, because, you know, uh, you know I, just, I can't stand the environment there. I just don't like it or I'm not getting paid enough. It's usually one or two things that are really centering us on why we want to leave that place or why we want to shift. But if you think about it, every life transition affects you on different levels. It doesn't just affect you physically. It just just doesn't affect you financially. It affects you on different levels. So here's the first way a life transition affects us. It disrupts our rhythms. That's the physical aspect of our life. If you think about it, um, your life is built on rhythms. Right, you have a time that you go to bed. How many of your coffee first thing in the morning? Like you, how many of you are the people who actually set the coffee pot at night and it makes it and it's ready in the morning? Wow, that's awesome. You really do that. That's great. Like I bought the coffee pot for that, but I still forget to do that. Right, and then I go to Starbucks and buy something, and I think I'm just wasting money. The whole point of of this was to buy this, so I wouldn't have to do that. But I'm getting better. I'm I'm getting new rhythms here. But but. You have rhythms in your life that affect you physically. What time you go to bed, how you feel when you don't get enough sleep, right? When the grandkids come over, when the kids, you know, are awake, when the kids are asleep. My little girl right now, Eden Rain, on the dot between 7 and 7.06 is going to wake up and be ready for Sesame Street. If you check my Insta story, you're going to see her pretty much every day. Ready for breakfast, give me a bottle and give me Sesame Street. At six months old, she's got this rhythm where if you disrupt that, she will call all of hell and all its demons into the house to make you shift her life into a place of comfort. But rhythms, the rhythms that we have, it affects us on a physical level when we're thinking about our life transitions. It's not just you need a new job. That new job is going to require different things of you, right? It's not just uh, leaving this place or leaving this career. It's going to affect you on a physical level. It's going to disrupt rhythms, right? Life transitions also force new pathways. This is the mental aspect. It forces you to start thinking different, right? Some of you, maybe you're leaving one season of your career. I know you're leaving a season in your career where you've been in the military for a long time, right? And this is going to force a new pathway, a new pathway to think, a new pathway to open up. Okay, well, what's next? So really mentally, you start with a life transition, not just being affected physically, but mentally start starting to have to think in a different way about your future, about your weeks, about your months, the way finances came in in this way, or maybe they won't come in in this way. Now they have to come in a different way. And so you mentally, you start to take on all of the the stuff that comes along with a life transition. And then lastly, life transitions have the tendency to dismantle preconceived ideas about what we think life is going to be. Or what we thought life is going to be. Anybody who got married can say amen to that. There's the way I thought it would be. And then there's the way it is. Right? Right, Travis? There is the way you thought it was. 
and now you are in line, sir. You are in line. You are out of line and out of order, and now you are in line and in order. Amen for Travis. Learning new things, growing under Emily's great direction and leadership, just becoming a better man. But there's what you think about something, and then there's the preconceived ideas of what you have about an arena of life that you're stepping into or the season of life that you're stepping into. And I'm telling you, life transitions, whether you're prepared for them or not, it can really dismantle those thoughts and affect you on the emotional level. Come on, all of us have been in a season where we say, I didn't know it was going to be like this. I thought this job was going to be like that. I thought this relationship was going to be like that. I thought this, this career change was going to be like this. I thought stepping out, everything was just going to work. I thought I was just going to be successful. I mean, I, I studied for four years, and I thought when I just step out, the job's going to happen, and then the finances will come, and then I can get a house, and then the car, and I can get out of debt, and all that. Like, you just see what happens is when life transitions happen, they don't just affect us physically and mentally. They affect us emotionally. And what I want to tell you today is that this is the place that I see more people get stuck in because they haven't considered the impact emotionally of how things work. Now, I'm not trying to get you to, to, to get Kleenexes out this morning, this early in the morning. You can if you want. But I'm not trying to get you to, to, to be emotionally stirred about this. But I just want you to think about decisions that you make when you're stuck and when you're unstuck. See, some of us, when we make quick decisions, it gets us stuck because we don't think about things. We don't consider all the outcomes, right? And then we get stuck. And then we feel emotionally charged about certain situations. But we have to ask ourselves, do we keep finding ourselves in the same patterns, right? We all have a friend who keeps choosing relationships that are destructive, abusive, far below what they deserve. Come on, we've all got a best friend, a cousin, a, a sister, a brother, somebody who were like, why do they keep choosing the same person? Different name, but the same person. What is going on? And they can't see it, but we can see it. We can see that somewhere emotionally, they haven't connected that this is the, it's a different face, it's a different name, but it's the same person. It's the same neglect, it's the same abuse, it's the same disrespect, it's the same lack of vision. Am I speaking to somebody today? See, emotionally, we get affected when things don't go the way we planned, when life hits us, when relationships fail, when jobs fail, when things were in place in life and then they're not, it affects us on an emotional level. And we all know people who are years removed from certain situations but they're still talking about those situations. And they're still talking about them like it was yesterday. But it's been three years, or seven years, or 10 years. Now let's look at our own lives. What areas of our own life are we still talking about where a life transition took place, but it's still as fresh to us as if it happened yesterday? We're still talking about things, about what they said, about what they did, about what that church did, about what that boss did, about what that relationship caused, and we're stuck on this emotional level. Now, physically and mentally, we've already disrupted our rhythms. We switched into some new gear. 
right? We forced a new pathway, and this is what we're good at. We're good at a hard work ethic. We're good at, like, you know, digging our heels in and making the best and the most of a season and moving forward and just doing whatever it takes to, to pay the bills or get the education or start the business or change jobs or, or feed the family. We're good at this part. We're really good at being really good Americans and physically and mentally powering through whatever it takes to get to the other side, amen? We know that. But emotionally, this is where I think we fall through the trap door because we're still, we're still talking about things that happened so long ago. In other words, there's a healing aspect that has not yet happened that's still causing us to trip. We call them triggers. We get triggered by something. Somebody says something and, and you get angry. You don't like it. Or somebody says something and it discourages you beyond, beyond what words. And, and, and you can't see that about your life. But what people can see is, man, why, why did he get so mad about that? All I was saying this was this. Or, or, or somebody will say something and you'll come out with, well, what do you mean by that? And I'm kind of like, what do you mean? What do I mean by that? <laughs> what do you think I meant by that? Because that's a defensive response, and that wasn't my intention, but you're responding defensively, so something's going on here where you have a preconceived notion about what I'm saying, but I'm not on that level with you here. That, that's not what I'm thinking here. I'm not attacking you. I'm talking with you. But somehow you perceive that this is personal. Come on, you know how people, we can be like that when someone says something to us and it triggers. Come on, there's the trigger. And emotionally, now why is this important? What does this have to do? Well, I think in order, in order for us to be unstuck people who are growing in the grace and the knowledge of Jesus, there has to be a self-awareness and often an inventory and a stock that we take about who God says we are versus where we're stuck. Not just saying, you know, well, this is what I'm going through and this is what I've been through. No, but this is who God says I am. And if this is who God says I am, then I'm not going to stay stuck emotionally in a place that God's wanting to move me on from. I'm not going to stay bitter because Christ does not desire that I stay bitter. I'm not going to stay discouraged and despondent and disappointed about what didn't work out because God desires that I live by faith. Not in a fantasy land, but that by faith I trust him even when I can't see what's ahead. See, no one sets out to get stuck. No one sets out in a life transition for a new job, new relationship, new season of life, new church, new opportunities, new friendships, new business opportunity. Nobody sets out in this stuff and says, man, this is a new open door. I can't wait to get stuck. I can't wait till this, this, this transition creates a new rhythm in me. And I can't wait till it gets me thinking in new pathways. And I can't wait till it gets me stuck emotionally in the past that I should have left behind five years ago. Nobody says that. But often we find ourselves in seasons feeling the same thing that we felt in last season. And I'm telling you, this is, this, is, this is what I've seen over and over. I'm just telling you guys, I've been, I've been leading people in one form or fashion for, for over 20 years and specifically in church for about the same. And I want to tell you something. Do you know one of the biggest things I see people have a struggle with is their church experience. There's preconceived ideas and expectations of what it is to them and what it provides for them. And then there's the reality of the human <laughs> The complexities of people. 
You know, like in the early days when we started, it was a lot smaller so I could recognize who was coming and going. And so you, I, would, I would say, hey, where's, where's so-and-so? Oh, he got into an argument with so-and-so and he left. What are you talking about? He put six months into this place. He was here. What do you mean he left? Well, yeah, yeah, he got upset. So-and-so said something to him. He got offended and he left. There's hundreds of people coming through here and one person said something and, and he disconnects. You see, but this is not just him. This is, this is people. This is couples. And this isn't just in church, but, but specifically I'm talking about a church experience here. What happens is there's, there's a hesitancy in people and a timidity for people to really lock down and commit. Because emotionally they're affected on, well, my last church experience or, 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 or what happened at that last church or what the last pastor did or what, or what this couple did or I was overseeing this. And, and I'm just telling you what makes it really difficult for people to really get roots in community, biblical community. I'm not talking about check in, hear a dude, leave, and maybe check in in a couple of weeks. I'm talking about biblical, your life is is going great because it's not just Jesus involved in your life. It's the voice of Jesus through the believers in the body, brothers and sisters in Christ. It's not just somebody saying random things and hearing some inspiration and motivation. I'm talking about spiritual renewal in your life where there's momentum, where you're growing, where you're changing. You hear what I'm talking about today? And people have a hard time with church experience because, and you'll see this, and maybe this is you, but there's a resistance in you or there's a timidity in you or a hesitancy or maybe even a skepticism to get too close to people or, or to bury into a, to, to a team and get connected to a team or to just kind of keep it surface. And, and why? Because there's mistrust. And it's not, it's not going to be my responsibility or anyone else's here to get you out of that. It's going to be your responsibility to recognize that and say, where does that come from? Because physically I'm here. I forced a new pathway. Mentally I'm here. I'm here. I've moved on. But emotionally I'm still stuck in some other church. Emotionally I'm still stuck in some other season. You see this all the time with, with offenses and hurts. Uh, people who were offended or, or, or they're hurt. You know, their strategy usually is one of two things. Either fight or run. Now I don't know which one you are, but I know which one I am. It's the fight. I don't really run from anything. <laughs> You know, but I've also had to learn that it's not always good to fight. And sometimes it's not the option of fighting or running. It's the option of asking, what's the wisdom in this situation? Wait a minute. This situation isn't what happened. This situation is a new situation. But it's triggering an old feeling in me. And I need to make sure that that past season or that past situation is forgiven I've moved on from it, not just physically and mentally, but emotionally. I've not moved this so that, that I'm going to pick on Travis again, so that Travis isn't taking the wrath of something that was somebody else's fault. You see this in relationships where some other person takes the wrath and the retribution of something that someone else did. And they could be married five years into it, but the new person is paying for what the old person did. Amen? See, here's the, da the danger of just fighting or running. One of the two, right? Some people, fighting is easy because you've been fighting all your life and you've just learned how to fight. So you show up to fight. You're ready to fight. You'll fight whatever needs to be fought. You'll, like, like, there's a part of me that was so, so much was strengthened by God and standing by Janelle's side. But then there's that part of my DNA, how God has made me, where that's just naturally what came out. 
it, it was not to just, you know, put my head under the covers and just weep and say, I don't know how this is going. I can't believe this is happening. I don't want this to happen. What's going to happen? No, part of me was just ready to fight. Fight in prayer, fight in faith, fight in standing by her side, fight in gathering people around her bedside to work shifts so that she was never alone, fighting to get info from the doctors and the nurses. There was a fight in me. There wasn't a question mark as to what my place was in that situation. But some people don't like to fight, like to run. Running is much easier than fighting because running doesn't cost you a lot initially but it does cost you something down the road. And I want to go to a story here in John chapter 5. We are going to read the Bible today, by the way. John chapter 5. And I'm just going to pick right up into this. John chapter 5, it says, After there was a feast of the Jews. Hang on, I got a new Bible yesterday. I'm going to read directly from my new Bible. Is that okay for you all? All right. It's not like you can say no. No, don't do that. You have to say yes. John chapter 5, after this, there was a feast of the Jews, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now, there is in Jerusalem by the sheep gate a pool, which is called in Hebrew Bethesda, having five porches. And in these lay a great multitude of sick people, blind, lame, paralyzed, waiting for the moving of the water. For an angel went down at a certain time into the pool and stirred up the water, and then whoever stepped in first into that pool after the stirring of the water they were made well of whatever disease he had now a certain man was there who had an infirmity 38 years when Jesus saw him lying there and knew that he had already been in that condition a long time Jesus said to him do you want to be made well And the sick man answered him, Sir, I have no man to put me into the pool when the water is stirred up. While I'm coming, another steps down before me and gets into the pool before I do. And Jesus said to him, Rise, take up your bed, and walk. What what we see here is obviously a man who's been sick a long time. And this passage of Scripture has so much gold in it. There's so much gold in this entire story of what actually happens and beyond this, but I'm just going to focus on the first few verses. But the first thing I want to I recognize here is where it says, they're in Jerusalem by the sheep gate, a pool, which is called in Hebrew Bethesda, having five porches right here. In these lay a great multitude of sick people, blind, lame, paralyzed, waiting for the moving of the water. Can I tell you today that when you are emotionally ill, and not well, there's a whole host of people that can gather around you in the same manner. And that if you're not careful, before you know it, the pool is your life, and you are laying by your life, gathered with other emotionally sick people, where the only thing you have in common is your hashtag, your pain, your struggle your difficulty, your hurt. And, and the question that begs to be asked is, do we want to be made well? The question is not, are we not feeling well? Because we know the answer to that. The question emotionally for us is, do we want, is there a desire on our part to want to be somewhere other than we are right now? 
Do we want to be bitter that our father wasn't there? Do we want to be bitter that, you know, so-and-so did this to us or that this person, do we want to stay there? Most of us will say by our feelings, no, but by our actions, Jesus is showing us that a lot of people can gather around the same hashtag, but not be heading towards the same destination. Not heading towards the same destination. Let me tell you this. They might have the same hashtag as you, abused, hurt, you know, disappointed, betrayed, lied to. But let me ask you this. Are they heading in the same direction as you are? Are they heading towards being made well? Are they heading towards being whole? See, the verse in this translation, it says, do you want to be made well? You know what the the translation actually means that Jesus was saying was, do you want to be made whole? In other words, do you want to get beyond this and live beyond this incomplete state of life that you've been sitting in here? It was a, uh, the specifics were that it was a physical healing that Jesus was going to do in this man. But Jesus asks him the question. Now, if you think about it, that would probably offend anybody and everybody today. Someone who's been sick for 38 years. Imagine going to the hospital and visiting someone and saying to that person in the bed who's been in there 38 years, that's a long time in bed, but you know what I mean. You say to them, do you actually want to be made well? That would almost be, what are you talking about? Of course I want to be made well. What kind of offensive question is that? Why would you even ask that? Come on, think about it. We would be offended if someone asked us after 38 years of of our condition, whatever it is, if we actually want to stay that way, yet that's what the Son of God does. He asks the person with the infirmity if they want to stay there. Now look here, it says, For an angel went down at a certain time into the pool and stirred up the water. Then whoever stepped in first after the stirring of the water was made well of whatever disease he had. Now a certain man who was there, who had an infirmity 38 years, and when Jesus saw him lying there and knew that he'd been in that condition a long time, he said, Do you want to be made well. In other words, I see who you're lying with and not everybody here wants to be well. Everybody's waiting for something, but not everybody's waiting to move on from where we are. What's interesting is is when Jesus saw him lying there. In other words, this man didn't see Jesus. Jesus saw this man. That's a lot like our lives. We weren't seeking Jesus. Jesus was seeking us. We were laying down sick with an infirmity, with bitterness, with unforgiveness, with destructive habits and behaviors and and all of this stuff. And we didn't see Jesus, but Jesus saw us. And when he saw us, then we saw him. And we stopped being lost and we started being and living found. Did this man even know who Jesus was? I wonder this. He had to have heard of his reputation. He had to have known that there's this man who is doing miracles. There is this man. And when he recognized him, I wonder, did he actually believe that it was possible for his situation to change? For for him to move beyond this life transition is happening. Move beyond this, this moment of this long moment of 38 years and step into something new that's different for him. It says... The sick man answered him, sir, I have no man to put me into the pool when the water is stirred up. But while I'm coming, another steps down before me. See, Jesus does not even acknowledge his current dilemma. He doesn't even acknowledge that this man consistently is in this situation 
but he goes straight to the point of asking this man whether or not he wants his situation to change. And Jesus says to him, rise, take up your bed and walk. And it says, immediately the man was made well, took up his bed and walked. Here's what's shocking. Jesus doesn't even acknowledge the man's prior history. He doesn't acknowledge his constant difficulty. Instead, he gives a command to the man to rise, take up his bed and walk. Let's talk about what those mean. First, he says, rise. What does rise mean? Rise means lift yourself up out of your situation. Again, that could be seen as offensive to someone who'd been laying sick for 38 years. But still, Jesus' boldness calls the man who's sick to rise. Rise means to lift yourself out of what? The past. Lift yourself up. Not God pick me up, but you. Rise. Lift yourself up out of your way of thinking, your habits, your routine. Everything that you've known for almost four decades, he's telling this man, rise up out of that. And then he tells him, take up your bed. What does take up your bed mean? It means stop living here. It means this place that you've made, set a campfire, this place where you made your bed, this emotional, mental area of life where you keep coming back to, rise and take up your bed, pack up everything that you have. Like the way you clean up a hotel room when you leave. You're checking for, did I leave anything behind? You're making sure you've got everything. And then you move on because you know you don't live there. That's what he's saying. Take up your bed. Take up your stuff from this place and move forward. Don't stay here. Stop living here. Move beyond what you've known. Move beyond what you've seen. Move beyond what you've felt for so long. Move on. Take up your bed. Take up your belongings. And then he says, walk. What does he mean when he says walk? It means by faith, start taking action. Take action. In other words, by faith, move into what God has next. Make the decision. Listen to the voice of God. Understand the beginning of that season. Understand this is the ending of that season. Understand you've been in a hallway for a while. You've been in transition, but now this is an ending to that season. And it's time to take action and by faith, walk into move into what God has next get out of the hallway step into the doorway of faith, hope, and love this is where Jesus was calling this man there's so much more in the story you can read it later but maybe this morning what God is calling us to be a church that is healthy not a church of broken down emotionally restrained broken people for 20 years well I've been going to Grace Avenue for 20 years but I'm still discouraged and I'm still like at some point God is saying rise take up your bed and walk that is the message of God that is the message of faith I'm not saying it's easy I'm not saying that guy's joints weren't stiff I'm not saying he didn't have trouble walking when he started I don't know what his situation but at some point we understand this man felt something enough to step out of what he was in and move forward and then go before people and proclaim his healing and what's interesting is people doubted his healing they didn't believe it well yeah but you've been that way for 38 years how is this so is this, is this real were you really sick were you really discouraged were you really depressed were you really in that situation were you really sick but to him he knew to God be the glory maybe this morning is time to recognize it season is ended and that season ends today 
you moving forward. Not just getting used to just working the grind physically, mentally, just moving on for the family. Come on. An emotionally healthy man is a great leader for his family. Not a man who blows fuses over everything. Not a man who's easily tripped up. Come on. It's hard being a man, man. It can be difficult. But I tell you, it's so much easier when emotionally you're in the right place with God. Where you're learning to trust Him for everything that's going on. Trust Him for what's before you. Trust Him for what's around you. Ladies, so much of what you do can set the tone of a room, set the tone of the atmosphere of things. An emotionally healthy woman in the same way can help, even help your kids and your husband get unstuck. I can't tell you how many times I'm able to shift when I hear the right words coming out of Janelle's mouth. I realize I'm off, she's on, she's on. It doesn't happen often, by the way, but I'm just saying, when it does, I take the bull by the horn to say, you know what, you're right, honey. For once in your life, you're right. She's not here till the next service, so I can I won't close the service this way. Come on, can we pray this morning? If you would like the most up-to-date information about Grace Avenue Church, or you are looking for a way to support this ministry, please visit us online at graceavenuechurch.com. Thanks for listening.